Our reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 13, and it goes through to chapter 2, ending at verse 3. So it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behaviour. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Amen. We're just going to pray for Deb as she comes to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Debbie. We thank you, Lord, for her preparation and uh, all that you have poured into her as she comes to speak to us this morning. Lord God, we ask that you would anoint her words and that we would be good listeners, that we would have ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning. Lord, would you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hello everybody. Very good to see you all. We're going to be thinking as we read this passage this morning about holy lives and holy relationships. Holy lives and relationships. And I wonder even as 
we were just listening to those scriptures being read for us this morning. I wonder how many of us already started to feel that sense of pressure or guilt or kind of heaviness that comes when we think about this whole area and aspect of holiness in our lives. Maybe we already started to groan within and think, oh no, I know there's all this stuff that probably God doesn't think is great about me and and we start to feel bad about ourselves inside. And it's amazing, isn't it, how much we can quickly close our hearts to this subject because we already feel bad about ourselves. We already feel guilty about our lives. We already feel like things are not as they should be. But I really want to, as I share with us this morning, my prayer is that instead of a focus on ourselves and looking at our own failings, my prayer is, as these verses encourage us, that we will have our eyes open to Jesus because he is the beautiful pattern for our holiness and he is the one that wants to um, fill our thoughts and our minds and our spirit this morning as we think about these verses and think about how they apply to our lives. So first of all, just a few words of introduction here. This, we're reading this letter that Peter has written to Christians who have been scattered all over the area of Asia Minor. Um, the area in ancient times that was called Asia Minor. And today it's what we would call probably areas like Turkey, bits of Greece and Italy would have been in there, Israel and Lebanon, that whole kind of bit between the seas um, is where the Christians have been scattered and are living in all kinds of different regions. And those regions are mentioned by Peter at the beginning of his letter. And all the places where the Christians are living that he is writing to, they happen to be Roman provinces. And they are places that are under Roman control. And by the end of Peter's first letter in chapter 5, which we'll read at some point if we get there, um, he describes himself as writing this letter from the church in Babylon. That's what he says, the church in Babylon. But By saying that, what Peter almost certainly means is he's referring in a kind of coded way to Rome. He's saying, I'm here in the church in Rome and I'm writing to all these Christians who've been scattered throughout these Roman provinces. And he probably did that to protect the Christians who were gathered in Rome because there was persecution happening there and happening all over these regions as we're going to read as the letter goes on. And Just as Babylon in the Old Testament kind of represented for God's people a picture of the world and all the kind of godless values that the world lives by and all the values that are opposed to God's people, so in the New Testament times, Rome was kind of their new Babylon. (laughs) That was the place that represented for them all the godless values that the world might promote. It was the seat of political power and dominance and it was imposing its values and its way of life and its worldly culture on all the peoples and cultures of these surrounding regions that Peter is writing to. So Peter is thinking of these Christians scattered throughout this worldly culture and he's saying to them, The world and all its behaviours around you might seem very powerful, 
They might seem very dominant in their influence, very inescapable. How can we live any other way? This is just the way that the world is. But, Peter is saying, remember that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, you are called to live a different kind of life. You are called to live in a different kind of way. And you may feel very scattered and you may feel very isolated and you may feel alone and you may look around and think, where are the other Christians around me, in my home, in my family even, in my neighborhood, in my job, in my workplace? Where are the other people who carry the values of Jesus like I do? And maybe you feel scattered and on your own. But Peter was writing to those people and he was saying, hold on to Jesus. You may feel like the whole world is moving in a different direction to you. But hold on to Jesus. Live a different way and let it shine out to the people around you and help to point them to the difference that Jesus can make in your life. So it's a relevant message, isn't it? (laughs) For today, anybody feel like those Christians were probably feeling? And I believe that Jesus really wants to encourage us this morning to live holy lives and to enjoy holy relationships so that other people can see something of the beauty of holiness that is in Jesus. And maybe they want to know Jesus for themselves. Again, in our culture today, we don't always think of holiness as very beautiful, do we? I was thinking about that lovely hymn um, that starts worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and it's a lovely phrase but I wonder if we really think about holiness in that way I think the idea of holiness often makes us feel bad like I was saying at the beginning and our culture tends to think of holiness in terms of being holier than now and of people talking to each other to make themselves feel better about their own lives, a way of making other people, put, putting them down and making ourselves feel superior. Oh, well, I'm living the right way, you're living the wrong way. And holiness starts to take on these kind of strange comparison connotations and competitive connotations that is just nothing to do with the holiness of Jesus. It's just nothing to do with what it means as followers of Jesus to have a heart and a desire and a hunger within us to live a holy life. Whether we get every step of our journey right or not, that there's a hunger within us that is seeking to live a holy life. It's nothing to do with putting somebody else down and making myself feel better. Because Jesus' holiness is all about helping us to fulfill Jesus' command. And Jesus' command to his followers was this. He said, By this shall all people know that you are my disciples. How? In that you love one another, have some holy relationships in other words, together. Jesus said, that is the way that the world is going to know what it means to follow me, what it means to live for Jesus, what it means to have Jesus come and live in our hearts and lives. They're going to know when they look at the way you live your lives together and the love that you have and you show for one another. And that's why he gave us the command, love one another. 
as I have loved you. And if we're ever, as God's people, going to fulfill that command, if we're ever going to be able to live together and dwell together and love one another as God's people, as church, in church life, in that kind of way, then we're going to need holiness in our lives. Otherwise, we're just not going to manage it. Otherwise, we're going to find that we're always damaging and hurting one another, that we're breaking apart, pulling away from one another, exploiting or using one another. We're going to find that things creep in to break up our togetherness, to break up our life together. We need holy lives and we need holy relationships to live in this world the way Jesus called us to so that we can be a signpost to Jesus for those who are seeking him in this world. So let's think about this passage and these verses that Peter writes for a moment. What kind of holiness is Peter actually talking about when he calls us to holy lives and holy relationships? He throws in, in these verses, some descriptions of a holy life and some examples for us to think about in this passage. So in chapter 1 and verse 14, he describes a life that is not just going after every desire of the flesh. Not just following after every desire that our flesh might bring to us. The desires of our flesh might be some good, some not so good, but we're not living a holy life with Jesus. We're not just following those blindly and taking going in the direction that they seek to take us in. There'll be some discipline. There'll be some boundaries around those things. In verse 18, he describes not living an empty or futile kind of life. And then he's describing people who are running after silver and gold and material kind of things, who've got those things in their minds, who value those things above all else. And he's seeing that as an empty kind of life, a futile kind of life. In verse 22, he talks about loving one another with a love that is without hypocrisy. It's not just fake. We're not fake people in the church. I hope we're not. There's a real relationship. There is real life. There is real love expressed between us. He goes on to further define that. He says we should be loving fervently from our hearts, loving fervently. You know, that word in the Greek, fervently, it's literally the word to stretch out your hand. So you've got this picture of people who are constantly reaching out to one another, constantly seeking to build relationship, to connect, to reach across boundaries, to get across the stuff that gets in the way, reaching out kind of holiness, a fervent kind of love, a love that is going after one another. Perhaps going to those we don't naturally find it easy to love or perhaps going the extra mile in love, reaching out. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1, he lists a whole bunch of things in this holy kind of life. He talks about relationships where there are no, there's no malice or spitefulness. There's no deceit, there's no lies being told to one another or about one another. There's no hypocrisy again, no pretense. There's no envy 
looking at each other, comparing ourselves, jealousy of one another, resentments about one another. There's no slander, no talking badly about each other behind our backs or to our faces, I guess. And he's describing these things. These are just some of the things that Peter has in his heart where he says, this is the evidence of a holy life. It's the kind of thing that looks like that. And I want us to just think for a moment about that list as it's up there on the screen. Let's just think about our own lives for a moment. Does my life describe, is described, is it described like this and in these kinds of terms? I wonder if anyone's ever said to you, um, and there's something different about you, you know, before they perhaps knew that you were a Christian, before they knew you had Jesus in your life. I wonder if anybody's ever said that to you in your life. I was remembering the first person that I spotted like that, the first Christian that I recognised before they'd really even said anything, clearly. And it was when I was in the sixth form back at school, and he was my new chemistry teacher, and we'd had only a couple of lessons with him. But in this particular lesson, there was a guy in my class who was a really quite a troubled young man, I guess, and he behaved incredibly rudely in this lesson. He, um, he always used to carry a hockey stick around with him in his bag, which was good for when he got in a temper, because he would whip it out and brandish it at you. And he did this to the teacher in the middle of the classroom, which you can imagine is pretty bad thing to do when you're in school. So he sort of waved his hockey stick, he swore in the teacher's face, he shouted, his whole face was full of red anger because the teacher tried to tell him something. And he stormed out of the room, slammed the door. And I remember watching this teacher kind of cope with this situation because it was a really extreme kind of display um, in the middle of the school day. And I was sort of expecting him to be furious because it was so rude the way this guy responded to him. I was expecting him to look angry, furious, to be really strong or maybe on the other side perhaps to look really daunted and overwhelmed and kind of humiliated by this disrespectful behaviour. But actually, as I watched him, he just didn't do any of that. And what I saw in his face and in his response was so different. It was such a contrast that inside, I just knew, I just knew, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus myself, I could see Jesus in it. That's all I can tell you, because he was so calm. He had not lost any of his dignity, even in this disrespectful display. He was not losing his own temper. And what I could see in his eyes as this guy walked out of the room was a genuine compassion and a sorrow, a deep sorrow on behalf of this lad. And uh, I heard him kind of under his breath as he left the room. I heard him go, oh, I'm so sorry. Like he, something like that. He was sad about what was going on in this boy's life. And I remember seeing the difference between what I'd expected um, his reaction to be. And I spoke to him at the end of the lesson when everyone else was going. I whispered to him, Sir, are you a Christian? Which was quite a dangerous thing to do. He might not have been. He might have just been a really nice guy. But no, I could tell it was more than that. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Yes, Debbie, I am a Christian. And, uh, and I realised that what it was I was seeing... His reaction to this difficult situation in front of him was nothing to do with himself. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't to do with how it made him feel. 
He wasn't reacting. He was responding to what was going on in this young man's life. And that was what it was I saw. He chose through anything that he might have felt about himself and was thinking about this young man. And as I look at this list, you know, I keep thinking, I kept as I was preparing this message, I kept thinking of examples and stories that I've seen and experienced in church life myself and all the beautiful ways that people living holy lives shine forth Jesus and the beauty of that that the world so desperately needs. I was thinking about my school friend, again, going back to my school days, but I was thinking about my school friend who I invited along to our youth group one evening, and she was not a Christian or from a Christian home, but she came along with me to my youth group, and then afterwards she hung out with me and my Christian friends for the evening. And, you know, afterwards when she spoke to me about it, I asked her, you know, did you have a good time this evening? And tears just welled up in her eyes. She was only, she was 17 years old, probably 18 maybe. And she looked at me and she said, I have just never been around a group of people who behave like that. She said, it's like you just care so much for each other, you and your Christian friends. And and it wasn't all about kind of jealousy and rivalry and getting one up on each other and like competing with one another. It wasn't all about who likes who and uh, trying to get the attention from that person. It wasn't all about saying one thing to your face and then saying something else behind your back. And she said, I could just see it. You just took care of each other. You looked out for each other. You were like family. We could all just be ourselves for an evening and not try and pretend to be something else to impress other people. And she expressed it so clearly to me. And she was like, I have never seen a group of relationships like that before. And she loved it. And she started coming along to be with Christian people. She became a Christian herself years later. Um, because she was so captured by the different style of relationship she felt in that context. I then started thinking about a lady who came to our last Alpha course um, in the back hall of the Bonhoeffer here, where we are. And, uh, you know, we'd done our work in hospitality. We'd made it look all beautiful, put some nice tablecloths down, brought all the lamps in, got the lighting right. It was really nice. We had a delicious home-cooked meal, you know, laid out for people, um, for the guests to share. And this lady came in for the first time, and she sat down at my table. So I just offered to go and get her a drink, a cup of coffee or tea, And she was like, no, 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 I'll get it, I'll get it. And she got up and she was going to go to the table. And I said, no, no, you sit down, you're our guest. Um, I'll get you a cup of tea. And I went off and I got her whatever it was that she wanted. And by the time I came back to the table, there were tears running down her face. And she was just looking around the room and she was like, why has everybody been so nice here? Why is everybody being so kind? Why is everybody going out of their way to make me feel welcome? And, you know, she was talking about when she was sharing her life with us, how she'd been going through a really painful relationship breakdown in her life. And she was looking after her son. She was parenting on her own. And uh, her son was going through a load of stuff. And it was weighing heavy on her. And I think she really had very few people in her life who would just do something for her, were looking out for her, were kind to her. And she felt overwhelmed that she would find that sort of love and support amongst a group of strangers on the Alpha course for her first week. 
But that's the kind of impact that holy lives and holy relationships, if we're willing to go after them, if we want to be that kind of person, that kind of follower of Jesus, that's the impact that those lives can have. And that's why Peter is writing to these Christians who are scattered all around in the world and he's encouraging them to think about their lives to think about their relationships, to think about their behaviours, to think carefully and seriously and not just to live the way the world around us might do. But it's not always easy, is it? And I think that's why he opens this passage with this phrase, if you flick on to the next slide, in verse 13. He says, Prepare your mind for action. It says in most of our translations. But you probably know or you might have heard before that actually the literal phrase in Greek means gird up the loins of your mind for action, which is a very funny kind of concept in a way to get your head around, isn't it? Um, So I thought I'd put you a nice diagram here of exactly how you gird up your loins and what happens at the end when you're ready for action. (laughs) But um, that's what Peter is saying. He's using this phrase, and I want us to get get hold of that because I think what Peter means is we need to get ready. If we're taking our relationship with Jesus seriously, we need to get ready to do some hard and deep thinking about our lives at times in a sober way, it says in verse 13. Take it seriously. Don't just laugh it off. Don't brush it off. Don't say, well, you know, I know this, this and this is not very holy behaviour in my life. But hey, that's just me. That's just who I am. That's just the way it goes. He's saying, no, take the time to think about your life. Think soberly. And above all, Peter says, and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. In other words, set your sights on Jesus and who he is. Look ahead to when Jesus comes again, when he's going to wrap up the world as we know it and bring in the fullness of his beautiful kingdom. It says in the scriptures that on that day we're going to see him in all his glory. And it says we will be like him. When Jesus comes again in all his glory, we will be like him. And anything in us that doesn't quite measure up, anything in us that is getting in the way, that is taking away from the beauty of his holiness, will be dealt with and will be put right. Because he is the pattern that we are shaping up towards. He is the image that we are being conformed to in our lives as we live here on the earth. And the perfect character of Jesus is what we are headed towards. It's our destiny. And Peter says, keep that in your minds. Think about it. Aspire to it. Set it in front of you as you think about the things in your life that may need some adjustment. You know, it's also important to notice when Peter is writing this letter that he is helping the people that he's writing to, he's helping them to see that if we're going to live a holy life and have holy relationships around us, it's going to take some humility. 
And that's why there's so much imagery in these verses um, about children and obedience and growth, growing up, and newborn babies. And it comes out time and again in these verses, verse 14, verse 17, verse 22, chapter 2 and verse 2. We can see Peter using this kind of imagery because he wants them to understand we can't come to this process of becoming holy and becoming more like Jesus unless we're willing to be humble, unless we're willing to kind of start again and to be taught and to be corrected and to be humble and to be small and not to feel like we know everything already. And we're going to need to be ready to obey even when it doesn't suit us, even when it doesn't fit with who we want to be. And we find this so hard, don't we? Don't we, 21st century human beings? We find it so, so hard to be told anything at all, (laughs) to be shaped, to be corrected, to be helped, to be different. Oh, we struggle with it so much. And we tend to respond when we're put in that position We try to find a way to make any mistake or failing that emerges in ourselves. Well, it's not really my fault. It's because of this, 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 this and this. That I did that, that I said that, that I was like that. Or else, if we don't go that route, then we tend to be those who try to make it. It doesn't even matter. So what that I did that? So what that this is who I am? So what that this is my experience here? Because we struggle so much to be humble, to be like a child. But you know, Jesus says, if you want to enter in to the life of the kingdom, you've got to become like a child. That's why he said it. Peter's picking up on that. If you want to really get in on what it looks like to be a kingdom people, to live holy kingdom lives and have holy kingdom relationships together, you're going to find it's going to mean getting small, getting humble, getting down on our knees and allowing ourselves to be shaped, to be corrected, to be helped in some way. And I want to just leave us, as we come to a close this morning, I want to leave us with four motivations that Peter gives us for living this kind of holy life, for getting stuff right inside of us, for bringing our hearts to Jesus like we already have been at the Lord's table this morning and for allowing him to speak in and put his finger on stuff and say, you know what, this needs to change. That needs to be adjusted. I want to change and reshape this. And uh, there are motivations for that kind of holiness that have got nothing to do with just conforming to some set of rules or laws or ideas that somebody else has for our life. They've got nothing to do with just, you know, being a tick box kind of person. Yep, I'm like that. Yep, I'm like that. A kind of scribal righteousness, as Jesus calls it. Nothing to do with just getting it right and feeling better than other people. Four motivations that come from a totally different place. Why be holy? Peter says, verse 15, because if we love Jesus, then we'll want to be like him. Very simply. In verse 15, that's what he's saying. Be holy because I'm holy. If we love Jesus, we'll want to be like him. 
We'll want to live the kind of lives that shine out all the goodness of who he is. I remember in my university years that there came a point as I was a Christian seeking to live out my Christian faith, but there came a point when I knew that the Lord was speaking to me about alcohol being such a strong culture of student life and um, lots and lots of drinking and socialising over drinking. And I found that at some, a certain point, I knew the Lord was saying to me, Debbie, I want you to go on an alcohol fast. I want you to give that up for a time. It wasn't forever. But because I realized inside that I was just slipping in to the way of relating that everybody had. The drink in the hand was where the confidence came from and uh, where the sparkling conversation was going to originate from and where the fun and outrageous stuff would happen and where all the kind of excitement and the buzz was. It was coming from this place here. And I remember thinking that it's just not Jesus. (laughs) He didn't need this prop to make him the most exciting person in the room. He didn't need it. And inside I felt myself becoming this person I didn't really want to be in that culture. And the Lord spoke to me about it and he said, you know what, I didn't do that. I didn't use alcohol to make myself popular. Um, He said, I've got the Holy Spirit and that is what flows out of me and that is what my relationships are built upon. It is that life flowing from me. And I knew that he was challenging me with that. And he was saying to me, Debbie, do you love your friends and the way they do things more than you love me and the way I do things? Which is it? Which one do you want to be like? And I remember saying, Jesus, I want to love you first. I always want it to be about you. I want to choose you. And I was learning to live and relate in a different kind of way. If we love Jesus, we'll want to be like him and we'll see where our behavior isn't really and he'll want to help us to conform to his image. Second, motivation. In verse 17, Peter is saying, if we love the Father, then we'll want to please him. That's what he's saying. If you call God Father and you're living in his ways, if you love the Father, you will want to please him. I was talking to a lady not so long ago who'd been trying to come back to God after she'd kind of walked away and strayed away in her faith for many years. And she was telling me she didn't even want to pray anymore because she just felt that God wouldn't want to hear from her because she'd got into such a bad place. She was carrying all this shame and guilt and heaviness and disapproval on her life. And as I was sharing with her, I was trying to say to her, you know what, you can bring all of that to him. Think about the prodigal son. Think about that story where the son thought the father would never have him back again. And he got to his father and he was ready to just be a slave in the household. And of course, first and foremost, the father just wrapped his arms around this wayward son and forgave him of all the past and forgave him of everything. And he felt free of that burden. But then even better than that, the scripture tells us he put shoes on his feet and rings on his finger. Remember? And in doing that, the father was saying to the son, not only are you free of that burden of guilt, but now I'm giving you a new burden, a good one, a responsibility, authority in my household. Those things in ancient times were a picture of the authority that you carry in a household. The slaves wore no shoes, but the sons wore shoes. And, as you, and the signet ring of the authority to put the stamp on decisions being made 
and that son was being shown, you've got a job for me to do in the kingdom. You've got a job for, to do in the household of God. You've got some work now that you can do. And as you do it, you're going to know the pleasure of the Father who's taking delight in you as you walk out your gifts, as you do the things God's given you to do, as you fulfill the purpose that's written over your life. That is even more than just being free from the heaviness and the guilt and the shame. There is now a joy and an excitement because now I'm living in a way that actually pleases Father and I feel his pleasure and I feel the love of the Father flowing into me and until we're ready to start walking in the things he gives us to walk in those holy lives, those holy relationships we miss out on the pleasure of the Father in that kind of way yes of course he forgives us for the mistakes but he also wants to rejoice in our successes and in the things that we do that are beautiful for him and I was taught when I was a teenager that a brilliant way to finish every day is to go to bed at night and before you go to sleep, you should say to the Lord, Lord, please show me anything today that I've done that pleased you. And to wait to hear, what have I done today, Lord, that pleased you, that actually brought joy to your heart? And that joy starts to fill you, the confidence of, I did something right. You can also ask the question, Lord, what did I do that didn't? please you and you can know forgiveness for those things at the end or the beginning of every day third thing i'm just going to quickly mention these last two why be holy because we were paid for with the precious blood of jesus and it says that in verses 18 and 19 and if that is the value that jesus puts on your life then you are worth something And if you are worth something, then you should live in this world in a way that expresses it. Don't do the stuff that damages. Don't do the stuff that demeans. Don't do the stuff that diminishes, says Peter, because you are paid for with a great price. And you don't take, you know, the gold and silver vessels and then kick them through the dirt and do the gardening with them. You don't do that. Live in a way that brings honour and glory to God because you were paid for with the highest price in the universe and your value is beyond anything this world can ever measure. That's your motivation for the holy life. And finally, because that holy life is our reality. It is our destiny. It is our future in Jesus And that's why Peter said, fix your eyes on Jesus and look at him because that is the life that is ahead of you. When Jesus comes again in all his glory, he's going to reveal to you all that same glory and beauty and perfection in your life. And that's why it says, and I really wanted to point this out for us this morning, just as we close, but that's why it says in verse 22, that we live in obedience to the truth. Did you notice that phrase? Obedience to the truth. Not obedience to a bunch of laws or rules or regulations. That's not what we're obedient to as Christians. We're obedient to the truth. And you can translate that word truth, reality. We are obedient to reality. 
What am I trying to say? Our motivation for holiness is not about trying to look good (laughs) compared to our fellow human beings. Our motivation for holiness here is to say, but this is who I was always made to be. This is what God had in his mind when I put human beings together, when I picked up that lump of dust and breathed life into it and brought human life into this world. That's what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. And that is the reality. And anything that doesn't fit into the life and the character and the beauty and the holiness of Jesus, it just isn't real. And it won't last. It's empty, it's shallow, it's fake, it's dissatisfying, it's corrupting, it is death-giving rather than life-giving because the reality of life is what we see in Jesus. And that's why Peter tells us to be obedient to the truth, not to live a kind of lie with all the mess and mistakes and muck-ups that we make, not to just incorporate those and say, well, that's life, that's me, that's who I am. No. Jesus says there's something so much more, so much more beautiful. And yes, we'll make mistakes along the way. That's why we keep coming to the table and we get clean again as we come to Jesus. And he washes us and he cleanses us and he renews us and he gives us his Holy Spirit afresh. But in our hearts... Peter wants to say to us this morning, Jesus wants to say to us this morning, in your heart, live for that kind of holiness. Ask him to deal with the things in your life that don't measure up to it and walk and run after that vision because that's the reality, that's the truth. So let's pray. Just be quiet for a moment in the presence of Jesus. Lord, I just want to pray for those, first of all, who know that they've lived bound up in a legalistic idea of holiness and their motivations for holiness have been other things, not those not love for you, not wanting to please Father, not the precious price over our lives, not the vision of what you want us to be. And Lord, I want to pray that you break the power of that religious kind of guilt and that legalistic trying that weighs us down and makes us feel bad about ourselves. We just break the power of that over any life that's bound by it. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and to move in our lives that we might remember that you are the centre of our holiness, that our relationship with you is at the heart of it all. Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning that you would fill our hearts and minds with the picture of the beauty of your holiness. That we might see you in a new way. That open our eyes to you in a new way. And Lord, I pray for any who know, just as I've been speaking, there are areas of their lives that you're bringing under the spotlight. 
that you're wanting to shine your light on and say, you know what, this can change. You can be free from this. This doesn't have to be your future, even though it has been your past. Lord, I want to pray right now for the power and the courage and the grace for each and every one of us to bring our hearts before you, to let you speak in, to let you shape and change us, to get help from others where we need it. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will continue to work these things in us and through us as we go out from this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let your name.